You're listening to What the Catholic, a Colonel Catholic podcast where we discuss various topics submitted by our students. We hope you enjoy this episode. God bless and go Colonels. We are uh, we're recording. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now you just made it not natural. Yeah, not right? Natural. So I'm going to get some water. Okay, okay guys, yeah. you just missed a great conversation that but, I had. <laughs> so just funny. imagine like the best conversation you probably ever heard and that's what you would have this heard. This happens. Okay, heard wait. This happens all the time when I'm biting together. <laughs> they like introduce the podcast and they're like the three of us have been talking for like the last 30 minutes and we decided, you know what? Maybe we should start recording and fill people in. And I always feel like as a middle child, I have a lot of memories of like walking into the room and people are like already having conversation. Uh-huh. And that's how I feel when I do it. It's like very at home of like, ah, yes, of course. Right. People are already having conversation. It's like if you're listening, you just, walk, you just walked into our conversation and said, oh, hey, yeah, like, welcome, welcome to come have a seat at the table. In. We'd love to have you be part so of our conversation. So good. Very confused by the water pitcher. <laughs> like it doesn't, Pour. So then I pour it more and then the cap flies off. And Sometimes it, it does that. I don't it, know why. Yeah, it, it has a mind of its own. Is it one of those you have to push to open the... No, it just has a mind of its own. It's very, okay. it's, it's very strange. You tell me when, when we're ready. Are we ready? Are we ready? Yeah, we're ready. we're ready. All right. All right, well then I'm not going to put this by the food alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Hello, welcome to What the Catholic. My name is Father Patrick. I'm Megan Martin. I'm Margaret White. And we are joined by a special guest. Uh, Father Bryce Higginbotham. Father Bryce Higginbotham. He is the pastor at Sacred, not Sacred Heart, at Holy Cross in Morgan City. I don't know where that came from. Um, pastor at Holy Cross in Morgan City. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm technically the administrator at administrator. Holy Cross, not Sacred Heart. So, But the city's right. Yes, Morgan City. Um, the great Tri-City area. Um, why don't you, that you know that. introduce yourselves to us a little bit? Where are you from? What you what do you do? So, uh, yeah, uh, do, do people know like where we are and where we record these things? Yes, we are at Nichols State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana. <laughs> Welcome. No, 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 no. I mean, like, what room are we are in? Oh and no, how, they how, don't. How we do this? Can, can I tell people that? Yes, sure. absolutely. Okay, great. So, uh, so that's coming in a second. Um, so my name is Father Bryce Higginbotham. I grew up in a small town called Church Point, Louisiana. Um, and uh, because the Lord brought some really good people into my life, um, I fell in love with Jesus um, by going to confession when I was in high school and um, had, had somebody just to mentor me in the faith. And um, I told Jesus, I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And, uh, and uh, I, I didn't know what that meant. Um, but it turned out that part of what that meant, a huge part of what that meant, the biggest part of my life, is uh, he wanted me to be a priest in Homa Thibodeau. Um, and so, um, as I started exploring that and talking to Jesus about that, and uh, I met the uh, vocation director for Homa Thibodeau. He's like the priest you talk to if uh, you think God's calling you to become a priest. And, uh, and he was the pastor at a place called uh, St. Thomas uh, on the campus of Nichols. And he said, uh, well, you should, uh, since you're from far away in Church Point, you should come live with me uh, for the summer. And so uh, we are actually uh, recording in the, in the dining room at uh, the rectory or the upstairs at St. Thomas. And uh, as I was just like getting a drink of water and stuff in the kitchen, I remembered, uh, man, I spent like a lot of time here and a lot of summers here and had many conversations and prayed uh, evening prayer many, many times uh, with Father Joey Palola like right here. Um, at this table where we are today. So it's really cool. Like for me uh, cool. to be here in this room, yeah. like doing this where it kind of started, my journey in Homa Thibodeau really started. 
Oh, that's, that's so cool. cool. Yeah. You couldn't have planned that better. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So great. Uh, well, we're very excited to have you here. Um, so the focus of our conversation today is going to be about the scriptures. Yes. Um, so we brought, so Father Bryce has a particular love for the scriptures. He uh, had his focus of his master's degree from Notre Dame on sacred scripture, wrote a thesis on the Gospel of John, is in about, I don't know, sometime next year, going to go off to Rome to continue his studies in scripture. So we could think of no one better than to talk to us and talk with us about the scriptures. So we had just, uh, I guess we could just start with just like, maybe just like how has the scriptures been influential in your own spiritual life? Oh, yeah. 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 Just like what, what are the scriptures yeah. mean to you? I don't know if that's a good I way to say I can start, it, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm new to the podcast. I am a missionary here at St. Thomas. Um, I decided to replace Gary Land this week because I was like, <laughs> it's my turn. Um, kind of, not really. But anyways, yeah, so I um, was raised Catholic. Um, so I went to Catholic school my entire life from kindergarten to 12th grade. So I was very familiar with the idea of, like, scripture being read at mass and the idea of, like, yeah, knowing different scripture stories. Um, but it wasn't really until, I would say, my junior year, of high school that it like clicked with me that the story of the Bible that the scripture held a story we were like yeah it was meant to be read all together not just in pieces um, and it really piqued my interest it was in a religion class that we were just talking about yeah like the flow of the gospels um, and it really piqued my interest and it's just something that yeah, has been a lot of prayer just like what did Jesus say um, to the woman caught in adultery like what my favorite gospel story is the feeding of the 5,000 um, so it's one I go back to a lot and it's just been really cool to continue to read the same story I've known my <coughs> entire life um, and just pick out different parts that Jesus is saying that's awesome yeah very cool um yeah for myself scripture was hard for me when I first became a missionary I had my conversion pretty quickly bef right before I became a missionary and so I was not formed at all. I did not come from a super Catholic area. I didn't go to Catholic school. So I was very unfamiliar with the scriptures. Um, I didn't know where the books in the Bible were. I didn't know Bible tabs existed in order to buy them. Um, and so very unfamiliar with the scriptures. And I really didn't like enjoy reading. Um, I still am working on that skill. <laughs> but um, that's why Margaret's laughing. But um, it was during my first year as a missionary, um, that I really fell in love with scripture and the way that we can use scripture to pray. Um, but also something that I came into contact with is Scott Hahn's fourth cup Bible study. Yes. Um, and in that Bible study, I really fell in love with scripture and the way that Jesus fulfills everything. Like it is mind boggling the way the new Testament complements the old um, and fulfills it. And after that, I was like, how can anyone not see this as, as beauty and goodness and truth. Um, and yeah, that's when, when I had my conversion to sacred scripture and how, how impactful it can be. Can I say something about that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Being, like being um, <coughs> 2,000 or more years removed like from the Bible almost uh, puts a veil like over the scriptures for us. Right, so we don't know about the fourth cup, right, because we're not first century Jews. 
Um, I, I, I've just been, uh, been reading a book called Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't know the, uh, the, the veil comes over our face. Actually, Paul says that, right, about um, the people of his day who didn't accept Jesus. And, but even now, those of us who have been baptized, who have the grace, like a veil can still be over us because we don't know uh, the context. Like right. that, that the scriptures in. So I think that uh, something really important, like the reason that it's important to learn, whether it's podcasts or books, or I, I said I was reading a book, but I, I've actually been listening to the book mm-hmm. on the Dead Sea Scrolls, podcast, books, Audible, whatever it is, like, because it, it like begins to take the veil off. That's yeah. um, also why I think it's really important like to dive in. Uh, just just read, like pick up and read or listen. Just dive in, even if you don't understand it right away. Like get to know it, and then start reading, a, studying about the Bible. And once you know kind of what it says, then you study about what it is. The veil kind of begins to be removed, and then we have like those kind of experiences. Absolutely, yeah. Right. yeah. I remember when I like found out that there were books that were written that weren't included in the Bible. It was like mind-boggling to me. So like mm-hmm. people had written other things that are accounts and just like yeah, when there's a council, I don't remember which council it is, but mm-hmm. that they like yeah came together and compiled the scriptures mm-hmm. of like this is actually what we want to teach the entire church and like this is going to be what's unifying. When someone told me that, I was probably in college and I had like heard it before, but when someone actually said that to me, I was like. Hmm. Mm, There's, like, more to it because I'm so, yeah, used to just, like, oh, there goes Jesus again, like, healing people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're, like, oh, like, they're just, like, Easter comes around and you, like, hear the story of the Passover and you're, like, oh, cool. But then, like, actually getting just, like, dive into it and read it and be, like, oh, like, putting yourself. The first time someone asked me, um, it was probably my junior year, I was in um, a Bible study and the Bible study leader told us to imagine ourselves in the story and I was like this is crazy and it's like a dinner party Jesus was at and I was like I left Bible study I was like that was the coolest thing I've ever done mm-hmm. I'm doing that every time I read scripture like because it does you just like, <coughs> become blind to it in the mm-hmm. sense of this is yeah you talked on like you know the comp like you know these other books that were written yeah like the whole compilation of the Bible actually it was one of the questions oh. that we got so that's wow. a, what, a, what a segue. What a segue. Uh, it's like, it's like where, where does the Bible come from? So that's like... That question of, of where the Bible comes from, like it wasn't written all at once yeah. by mm-hmm. Jesus. Father Bryce is over here. He's shaking his head. But that's actually, there's actually, it's a, where does the Bible come from is not an easy question to answer, mm-hmm. right? No, it's not at all. Um, how, like, if someone came up to you and was like, Father Bryce, where did the Bible come from? What would you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to depend upon y'all to ask me questions. Uh-huh. So I'm going to give. Uh, I don't know if if this is too complicated. You ask me questions to simplify it. Uh-huh. If this is not complicated enough, you ask me deeper <clears throat> questions. Okay. okay. All right. So um, the Bible was written down by. Well, what is a Bible anyway? Well, a Bible isn't a book. A Bible, however, rather is a collection of books. So that's what the Bible is. Um, it's called the Scriptures, <laughs> right? It's not just the Scripture. It's not just one writing. Um, but it's a it's a bunch of writings. And so. 
Those books were written down over the course of scholars fight about things. Most things I'm going to say scholars fight about. But um, some, let's see, somewhere around 1500 BC, it could have possibly started, maybe 1300 BC. Um, and then I write all the way till 100, maybe, uh, somewhere around there. So there's a, like over a thousand years of this writing um, that becomes compiled into the scriptures. And like Margaret was saying, um, there, there's a lot of things that were written in those years. Mm -hmm. So how do we know which things are uh, supposed to be in the Bible? So for example, <laughs> did you know uh, that there is something called a gospel according to Peter? Though that's, that's, not, that's not in the Bible. Um, and, and you know why it's not in the Bible? Because it wasn't written by Peter. Um, <laughs> But somebody lied. Yeah. Somebody lied and called their heretical gospel written by Peter. So let me tell you the story. Um, that there was uh, there was a bishop. I think he was in Syria. Um, and all the people, the you know, holy people lived in Syria back then. They had like the awesome names. So his name was Bishop Serapion. And uh, so forceful. <laughs> so Bishop Serapion, his people told him. He said they said, hey, like we got this book called the Gospel of Peter. Um, the Bible hadn't been compiled yet, and there are just all these, all these books floating around. And they're like, hey, we got this gospel according to Peter. And they're just around, like, oh, you need to read that because it comes from, it, it seems to come from Peter. Yeah. Um, so they did. That's where they started reading it. And then somebody, because, again, back in the day, you couldn't, like, get this stuff on your Kindle. Um, yeah, they, they had to, like, handwrite the copy. So Bishop Serapion gets his hands on a copy. Somebody gives it to him. He reads it. He's like, this is not the true faith. This is not the truth that was handed down from the apostles. This is clearly not from Peter the apostle. And so then he forbade his people to read it, at least in the liturgy. He said, this is, and why would you want to read it if it's false? Right. Uh, so yeah. he said, don't read that. It's, it's bad stuff. Um, and so they, so they didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so there are three uh, scholars have identified uh, three criteria which the church used to canonize the scriptures. In other words, to, um, to know which scriptures or which books were inspired by God. Um, no, no like early uh, saint in the church, no early church father, nobody from the early centuries of Christianity like lays it out this way. But when we read what the councils and the fathers, uh, the council is when like the bishops all get together, or at least from a region all get together, and the fathers are uh, those men in the early church who uh, taught the faith and showed and handed down to us what's handed down from the apostles. So when the council and the fathers write about the selection of books for the scriptures, we can say, I'm going to use uh, three big words, or at least two big words. Um, these are the criteria. Orthodoxy, apostolicity, and liturgy. Orthodoxy, that is, is in keeping with the faith. So some people say, well, I only believe what's in the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's not, not how the Bible came to be. Like the Bible came to be actually the opposite way. It was, here's what we believe, here's what was handed down from the apostles, right? And of course, all you Catholics know that the Latin word for the hand down, right, is trotto, trottere, which is where we get <laughs> tradition. Uh, so, uh, I, knew, I knew you all knew that. It was yeah. deep down in there. Just deep down. The price <laughs> 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 uh, so, uh, where was that? Orthodoxy. So, right. Was this writing, was the teaching here 
in accord with what was handed down, what was traditioned mm -hmm. from the apostles. Uh, number two, um, was it actually written by an apostle or somebody associated with an apostle? Uh, somebody who had an, um, an apostolic teaching, let's right. say. Uh, and number three, were we praying with it? Like J Justin Martyr, uh, when was Justin Martyr, like 150? Um, yeah. Justin Marty, he says that when we get together to pray, right, 150, that's long before the scripture was canonized. Uh, when we get together to pray, we read from the memoirs of the apostles. So does this come from an apostle? Orthodoxy, mm -hmm. is it true? Apostolicity, does it have a connection to an apostle? And liturgy, mm -hmm. do we pray with it when we gather together for public worship? That's, so, that's interesting. Yeah, how does the Old Testament play into that because the apostles like weren't there at the exodus they weren't there i'm trying to think of other old testament stories. Like, <laughs> uh -huh. like they weren't there right, for yeah, king david like yeah mm -hmm. so how do yeah the new testament that all uh -huh. follows but like right. how would you explain to someone um yeah because one of my roommates in college we sat down one night and compared books of the bible um she isn't catholic and we like were looking at the books and i didn't know how to explain like, I could understand the New Testament of, like, yeah, there's teachings that weren't in accord with what Jesus taught and what was handed down. But how do you explain that for the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. that that, that's a great question. And there are two parts to it. Uh, number one, uh, I, I was not clear enough. So thank you. Um, no, number one is that uh, those three criteria, orthodoxy, apostolicity, liturgy, that really was for the New Testament. Um, because they, these are the books that were being written, or the biographies. Of, they really weren't books, right? They were biographies. They were letters. They were written on scrolls. The books really hadn't been invented yet. It's more like scrolls. But uh, so that was uh, how they decided in the New Testament. For the right. Old Testament, it was really what they already had. So there was, remember, um, the, um, the common language mm -hmm. was Greek. That was the language in, like, the known world. That was the language at that time. Uh, in the Roman em Empire. And so there was a translation of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament into Greek. It's often called the Septuagint um, because they say that 70, it was done by 70 translators. That's another story. There was this, so there was this Greek edition of the Old Testament that everybody just used. And, and the church saw it and used it and uh, quoted from it in the New Testament. And that, that was that was. No one really clear. So that's like yeah. when Jesus stands up to read the scrolls. They would mm -hmm. be talking about the Greek translation. Hmm. Or is that different? If this is getting too off topic, <laughs> uh -huh. Megan knows that I get really off topic. <laughs> if we can bring it back in, uh -huh. I will well, be offended. I'll at least answer that question. Uh, the, the real answer is that I don't know, and I'm not sure okay. if anybody does, because Jesus was in Galilee when he did that, I believe. And in Galilee, they were speaking a whole lot of Greek. Um, but they were in a synagogue, and they were still not that far from Jerusalem. Okay. So I think in the first century, no, I am almost positive that in the first century, if you go like the temple in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. like they were praying in Hebrew. Um, but at a synagogue in Galilee, um, I, I don't know, and I don't know if there's any evidence, like if anything tells us whether it was the Greek or the right. Hebrew version. So what's the deal with the differences in like your your roommate's Bible? If that was what that like was one, accepted, mm -hmm. yeah, where, like, did, where did the where did the like the Maccabees isn't in right. most Protestant right. Bibles? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that so there was the uh, there was the Septuagint, 
Right, mm-hmm. It had these scripts. Now, there were different editions of the Septuagint, and some had more books, and some had less books. And, uh, but in, in general, right, there was the Septuagint, and then uh, some of the Jews took books out. So uh, the, remember, um, Judaism was functioning as Judaism uh, until 70 AD. So as the New Testament was being written, right, there's still the Pharisees that we know of from the Bible. There's still the Sadducees. There's still the Essenes. There's still a temple. There's still temple sacrifice. And then 70 AD, there's a rebellion. The Romans come in. They destroy the temple. And then there's no more like animal sacrifice for uh, the Hebrew people, for the Jews uh, to this day. Um, then uh, it got worse in like between, I think, like 130 and 135 AD or somewhere around there. There was this guy named Bar Kokhba. And I see they all had cool names back then. Um, and uh, which which means the son of Kokba, which doesn't make it any easier. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so there's a guy called Bar Kokba. He stood up and he was like, "Hey, I'm the Messiah, and we're gonna rebel against the Romans, and we're gonna beat them, and we're gonna have like a national like Israel again, like united under David." Um, and that was that was very foolish of him to do. And uh, so the Romans came, and what that hadn't been destroyed already, it it got really destroyed. Um, so uh, Judaism had a great crisis at that time, and over the course of, mm, I don't know, a century or two, um, in, in various debates among the Jews, they decided to throw out the books that either were not written in Hebrew or in which they didn't have a copy in Hebrew. Okay. Uh, so, because um, think about this, right? Your whole, um, your whole culture and your whole religion like, is based upon how God revealed himself to you. God mm-hmm. revealed himself to you in the Hebrew scriptures. And most of the things that make you distinctive, like the temple, it's gone. And you have no idea how it's <clears> going to come back. And for good reason, because 2,000 years, it, it still ain't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what do you do? Well, one thing that might be reasonable is like, all right, all this Greek influence, this outside Greek influence, all this Roman influence, if Rome's come to destroy us, like we ain't doing none of that. And mm-hmm. so if we don't have a copy in Hebrew, we don't, we don't want it. So, for example, Maccabees, mm-hmm. right? I don't think that there is any Hebrew copy of Maccabees. Um, Sirach, or, um, Sirach is, uh, was actually originally written in Hebrew, but we didn't find a Hebrew copy of it till like the 1970s. Um, so I, I'm not sure, don't quote me on the 70s, but we're very recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've it was within the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran Sirach was part of the scrolls, yes. I think that's where the copy we had comes from. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I don't know when the Jews were arguing if they had a Hebrew copy or not, but the copy in circulation was in Greek, and that's kind of overly simplistic. Uh, I don't want to like do our Jewish brothers and sisters a disservice, but that's kind of basically w- what happened. Mm-hmm. Which would mean it makes sense if in the, in the time period they're trying to reclaim their identity. Yeah. yeah. So is there a reason that, the, that our Protestant brothers and sisters use that version of the Bible rather than what Sirach and Maccabees? Right. Well, um, John Calvin was one of the, uh, the early Protestants, and his argument was the one, uh, basically the one that I gave you about the Greek and the Hebrew. He said, well, oh, okay. like if God revealed himself to the Old Testament uh, in like most of the books in, in Hebrew, then we should only use the, the Hebrew stuff. So that's why, for example, uh, in, your, uh, in our Catholic Bibles and in Protestant Bibles, they both have the book of Esther and the book mm-hmm. of Daniel. However, the Protestant Bibles only have the parts written in Hebrew and the 
Uh, Catholic Bibles also have the parts written in Aramaic. Daniel was Hebrew and Aramaic. I think Esther was also Aramaic, but it may have been Hebrew and Greek. Nonetheless, the point is that uh, even to that degree, right. um, the prote- our prosopagosis was cut out from Spain. So they kind of kept uh, the Jewish train of thought into just their, their well, not formulation, but just their analysis, yeah. I guess, of the scriptures instead of it wasn't Hebrew. That, that, was, that was Calvin's argument. Uh-huh. Um, Martin Luther's argument was, was different, um, at, at least as far as I know. So I have a, I have a quote from Martin Luther, um, and he said this. He said, I hate Esther and 2nd Maccabees so much that I wish they did not exist. They contain too much Judaism and no little heathen vice. Um, Luther also was <laughs> also said that he did not like the book of James, though he couldn't find a, an excuse, really, mm-hmm. uh, to, to throw it out. Right. Um, but he said, quote, um, something, uh, he, I wish we could throw Jimmy into the stove. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Jimmy. So, Jimmy. Uh, uh-huh. Got it. God, if you're listening, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Calvin... Calvin is a very um, uh, intellectual, mm-hmm. a very systematic mm-hmm. thinker, and so while uh, while obviously like he was mistaken, mm-hmm. right, to throw those books out, um, his uh, his arguments were linguistic. Right. Uh, Luther's arguments were more theological. So, so I don't like this or that in um, Esther and Second Maccabees and, and in James. Um, and so they, they shouldn't be there. So in a way, right, you think, well, Luther was kind of being like the fathers, except he wasn't one of the fathers, right? right? He didn't have the apostolic tradition, and he didn't have, like, the authority to do that as, uh, as the church does and as came down through, through the fathers. I got you. So I, I don't want to, like, paint, like, an unfair picture of right. Martin Luther, right. but those are the quotations that they, he, he did say those things, or write those things. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so that kind of accounts for the differences in, and that did, when, in terms of like just after the Reformation, <coughs> and because those were two big leaders of the Reformation, that just kind of generally became exe- accepted from the different denominations and offshoots that came from that movement. Yes, and very, very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, King, the original King James Bible, for example, mm-hmm. had all the books in it. It had all... Um, 73 books of the Old Testament, but um, they got, uh, they eventually, mm-hmm. not, to, I'm sorry, 73 books of the Bible, 46 books of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, but then they eventually, um, at some point, maybe in the first King James or not, I don't know, they ended up being regulated to like an appendix, and then they ended up being out. Kind of I don't remember actually if the, in the first King James if they were in their place, like in the scriptures, right. or they were already in an appendix, yeah. but they were there. Yeah, so this might be a slightly smaller question, but still, there's, you know, we'll read different, you say King James Bible, mm-hmm. um, the Bible we hear at Mass is the New American Bible, the, the Bibles that are, if you go to St. Thomas in the pews, it says the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition. That's um, good. If, you know, we have the Douay Reims Bible, mm-hmm. what, what is, why do we have all these different Bibles, and how do we know what's like? Is it like a right Bible mm. or a wrong Bible? Mm-hmm. You said, you know, the, you know, the Revised Standard Version is very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, so the Bible was, as, as we've clearly established, was not written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, so that means you've got to translate it. And um, if, if, uh, if you ever got into 
um, maybe, you know, French two or Spanish two or, or Latin two or whatever you had to take um, in high school, perhaps, or no different languages. It, it's just, you, you just can't, you just can't go straight from one language to another. Right. You just, you, yeah. right. you, you lose something. There's nuances, right. like I know, like in Spanish, there's nuances in words that are lost. Or like when I took Greek, that's everything is, everything is nuanced. <laughs> yes. There's like tenses in Greek that don't exist in English. And so how do you translate mm-hmm. yeah. these things over yeah. well? And Hebrew, it, even more challenging than Greek, Hebrew has a much smaller vocabulary than, for example, English. Actually, English, I think, has a bigger vocabulary than most languages because mm-hmm. it's a combination of Germanic and Romance languages. But certainly Hebrew has a much smaller vocabulary, so you could translate one word a whole ton of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, St. Augustine actually said, um, and St. Augustine didn't know Hebrew, he said, if you don't know the original languages, you should get as many translations into your language or other languages that you know as you can, and then compare them all. Because if, you know, if, uh, if Father Patrick is um, a Bible scholar, and so is Megan, and so is, and so is Margaret, and they all make a different translation, they're probably going to translate the word, let's say, a, some random Hebrew word, three different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, or they may. And so if you read Father Patrick and Megan and Margaret's translations, then you can be like, oh, well, um, I don't know exactly what's going on in the Hebrew there, but apparently it means something kind of like what they're saying mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Um, like the example that's coming to my mind is John 6, where it's like each time Jesus says, like, eat my flesh in mm. Hebrew, it like gets more intense mm-hmm. from my understanding. But it's like when you read in, it right. in English, in English it just he says, just says eat, 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 eat. Right. But, but then if you go back to the Hebrew or and the like Greek. actually look at, or the Greek, mm-hmm. Right, and like yeah. go back to what it actually looks like. Mm-hmm. It's translated differently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He starts off Jesus in that particular passage in John six with estio, which means just like to eat, and then he starts when, especially when the um, when the Judeans start like questioning, he gets more intense, and he says trogo. That means like like eat or like gnaw, like eat like an animal. Um, so yeah, and so that we're actually kind of back to um, from a different angle. That removing the veil from the scriptures, right? So one right. of the veils on the scriptures is um, 2,000 or more years separating us from the writing and the cultural context. And another one of the veils is the language, which is, again, why it's important like to read good books or to listen to them or whatever right, yeah. that can explain these things to us. That's good. And then to get different, different translations. How would you say, what's like a good way to, um, for like people who are listening to start to remove the veil? Because um, we just talked about a lot of like there's, there's a bunch of awesome history like all right well and then like how do I how do I pierce into that without like I don't know going to the seminary <laughs> <laughs> or going to focus training or something like yeah. that you know I think because from this side of like being a biblical scholar because <laughs> I am not um, the way that yeah the way that I've come into contact with scripture where the veil has been removed slowly for me um, has been through reading theologians, reading different um, different authors who have taken the time to do the research mm-hmm. that I do not have the time to do. Right, um, yeah. And so Dr. Scott Hahn, reading his books, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Bram Petrie, reading his books, and just it gives you contextual mm-hmm. evidence of what you're reading. It gives you um, an inside look at what you're reading. Um, so I know that 
Dr. Brancucci has a lot of books out right now that are mm-hmm. excellent, and we've used several of them for, for Bible studies and for, for different apologetics discussions and debates. Right. And I think that those those types of books are really good mm-hmm. for, for those type of things. Yeah. yeah, and I think to add off of what Megan's saying, <coughs> or add to what Megan's saying, um, not being afraid to ask people about, like, hey, this passage isn't really making sense to me. Yeah. Can you explain it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, whether it is like reading a book, I know, yeah, being a missionary, I'm very blessed to have a lot of people in my life that are way more knowledgeable on certain topics than I am. Um, yeah, so just being bold enough to ask and like admit, hey, I don't understand this. Could you help me? Um, yeah, ask, right. ask me questions. I'm thinking about the ways that, um, at my, when I when we initially first started talking about like what how does scripture impact just our own spiritual life and I was like I guess it really did impact mine until I went to seminary that's actually not true um, the very first like my first encounter with Jesus was through scriptures it was through the Psalms actually um, and so I, I'm just kind of that's kind of hit me right now it wasn't what first opened me up to scripture was like you know one of the criteria that you talked with Father Bryce was um, you know orthodoxy the apostolicity then the liturgy like we're praying with it mm-hmm. um, I didn't have any scripture background I was just praying the Psalms um, and that that spoke something to me and that kind of like first opened my desire to like there's something special about this book yeah and then that almost kind of propelled my and I once after going into seminary I had the opportunity to take these actual scripture classes because I had encountered God in this book, I knew there was something there, and that kind of propelled me to learn more about it. Right. Yeah. Um, and then now, with like the with theological background, that veil kind of lifted in another level. Yeah. But it started with like just that initial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I was just, yes. almost like, like I was reading it, and it was speaking things to me mm-hmm. that I didn't I didn't need any background to have that. So it was it was still able to speak, mm-hmm. um, just because of what the scripture is, right? It's just it's yeah. fine. It's not it's. It's a certain sense of a book, a, not a book, a library, a collection of books, but it's also like alive, yeah. inspired, and mm-hmm. so it kind of speaks yeah. on, a, on a different level too. It speaks mm-hmm. in multiple levels, which is just so cool. There's so many layers of scripture, and there's so many yeah. ways that it speaks. And I think also we live in a very digital age that sometimes reading a book is hard for you to understand. I know I've tried to read many of the books that my teammate Garrett has suggested to me and I'm like yep that is going right <laughs> over my head um but watching talks um whether it's yeah seat conferences are really sticking out to me like um not necessarily with scripture but like Father Mike Schmitz gave a talk on Eucharistic adoration and it like lifted the veil for me and I understood um a little bit more of like what was happening in that um listening to different podcasts from priests and from, I mentioned earlier, abiding together. Um, yeah, like listening to what other people have to say that are kind of going through the same things or have gone through the same things that you have in life. Um, I know in my own life has helped me a lot to kind of like see, okay, yeah, these people are also encountering the scripture and what are they getting from it and can we have a conversation about it? Father Patrick's experience is, is quite interesting because um, well, maybe you've never read the Bible before, and maybe you want to maybe you want to know where to where to start. Um, and many people have many opinions about where to start reading the Bible. Um, almost everybody will tell you don't just start at the beginning and try to read uh, because 
Um, if you get to Leviticus, yeah, if <laughs> you make it. We all laugh because we know. We've yeah. been there. Yeah. If you make it to Leviticus, then you will fall, quickly fall asleep. Um, so what does St. Jerome say? So St. Jerome is a guy who originally translated the Bible from uh, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic into Latin. Um, he didn't do the whole Bible. That's another complicated story. But the Pope asked him, he said, hey, we need a good copy of the Bible in Latin because that's what everybody spoke then. I remember people speaking Greek in the world at Jesus' time, and then Rome took over, and they were, they were speaking Latin. And so uh, Pope Damas was the first asked St. Jerome uh, to translate the Bible into Latin, and then Latin. And uh, St. Jerome um, had, had a bunch of friends, and, and one of his friends was named Leta. Uh, you see, cool names. Cool <laughs> names back in the day. We lost the name game. Uh, what? Right. We lost our name. You need to bring it back. Yeah, 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 it's cool stuff. So, so uh, Leta was asking him, I think, like how um, how do I train her daughter in reading the scriptures? And he said this: Every day, she should give you a definite account of her Bible reading. For her, the Bible must take the place of silk and jewels. And then he gives a list of the order for for reading the Bible. And I'm not gonna say to you the whole list unless I share because it's long um, but he says let her learn the Psalter first that is the Psalms hmm. and let her find recreation in its songs so y'all when we go to church like to pray um, it's when we do liturgy and when we pray in community um, I, I'll say unabashedly even though we don't do it a lot we're supposed to sing the Psalms like we, when we go to Mass, we're supposed to be singing the Psalms. Mm -hmm. uh, we come just to do night prayer. Mm -hmm. So you come to night prayer at St. Thomas at 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock. Monday through Thursday. Monday. <laughs> Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, because the church for 50 years has been saying, hey, we should be praying the liturgy hours together as a church. And St. Jerome actually said, if you want to get into the Bible, sing the Psalms. And so what do you do at night prayer? You sing the Psalms. And usually it's just one. It takes what, 15 minutes, if that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 15 minutes. Um, you, you can spare 15 minutes to walk <laughs> over to St. Thomas right. and to pray the Psalms and let the scripture like tear open your heart. Yeah. That's really cool because I didn't know that eight years ago, but that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what started my whole relationship with Jesus was singing the Psalms. There's something about the text and the music and the, the words that kind of helped me just develop a relationship. It taught me, what it really did is just taught me how to speak to Jesus in a way yeah. that yeah. I just had never was able to before. I never had been taught like that God has wanted a relationship with me. And so these words that were just words of expression or relationship and expressing either joy or sadness or longing, whatever it was, and the music in that just kind of, there really is a psalm for everything. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. every emotion, everything you're going through. I think St. Augustine said that. There yeah. is a psalm for everything. <laughs> uh -huh. And it's, yeah, it's really cool because we were talking about this in our women's Bible study last year. Um, we were focusing on Mary and people, yeah, a little bit off topic, but like, yeah, have a hard time relating to like the early Christians and in particular Mary can be someone hard. But like when you're praying the psalms, you're actually praying the same prayers mm -hmm. that like Mary and Jesus and the apostles would have been praying and then like throughout the early church it's something that we've like continued and it yeah it speaks to some volume of the beauty and like yeah the emotion that goes with the psalms that it like draws you in and brings you back to like every emotion that you could go through and the community of the church yeah right yeah, there's yeah. a psalm to answer like when mm -hmm. you're angry there's a psalm you can read mm -hmm. when you're 
having the best day of your life. This is Tommy's and Ray's. Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. And for 3,000 years, <laughs> these songs began to be written in, around 1,000 B.C. That's right. the, all the Jewish people for, since then have been praying. The King David began writing psalms. And the whole church, like not just the early church, but the whole church from the, all of her existence uh, has been praying the psalms. Right. Yeah. Someone told me this was pretty cool. The psalms are the only book that we hear in Mass every single day. Yeah. And they whether, always get stuck in your head. The antiphon or the actual responsorial yeah. psalm or something. Yeah. Every day hearing the psalms. I think the whole vestry. Yeah, that's right. No, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> I'm going to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And they always, I remember as a kid, like, when we would sing the psalms, they, that's what was stuck in my head mm-hmm. the rest of the week. My dad used to ask us um, on the way home from Mass, like, what stuck out to you about Mass? Like, what about the reading and the homily? And if... I didn't remember. I would just start singing the psalm in my head, and then that's what I would tell him. I'd be like, "This, mm-hmm. like, bless the Lord, and my soul, so good, like, great. You paid attention to that." And I'm like, "But <laughs> it, like, I did pay attention uh-huh. as a child. Mom and Dad, please don't listen to this." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it it does like stick with you because I think uh, it yeah speaks to your heart. And it, yeah, yeah, absolutely true. That's great. This is this is a bit off topic, but I feel, I, I'm compelled to say this. Like, the church has an official book of the music for mass. There's an official book. It has all the music in it. It has the notes. It has the text. It has everything. Um, and we don't ever use it, uh, but it's there. And you know what it is? It's the Psalms. Mm-hmm. It's the Psalms over thousands of years, like set to music, so that we can pray over and over again the Psalms. Now, not only so that we can pray them but so that we can sing them. And there are people who have translated that into English, right, that we can do. Right. We can sing the psalms, and it's not hard. Uh, and, yeah, Father Patrick, uh, you, sometimes the responsorial, quote, psalm is not actually a psalm. Right. right? It's a canticle from Exodus or from Tobit or wherever. Uh, but even if the responsorial psalm is not actually a psalm that day, which is rare, even still the official music for the Mass is mm-hmm. always, always, always uh, the songs. So if you're looking for a place to start, start with the songs. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. 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 Where Where do the Gospels fall on Jerome's list? Because that would be my next information. <laughs> the uh, I I I don't know, but we can read through it. So it's first the Psalms, then it's Proverbs, um, then actually I'll read the uh, the quote. Then let her learn from Solomon's Proverbs a way of life. So you, you encounter God when you're singing the Psalms, uh-huh. like Father Patrick described. Then you learn how to live from the Proverbs. Then from Ecclesiastes, how to trample on the world. So, right. you, you be, right? so what does that mean? Well, that means that, okay, so like I'm learning how to live, but there are all these things in my life that I have disordered attachments to, mm-hmm. and Ecclesiastes is going to tell me that it's all vanity and useless right. anyway. Uh, so I can get, be rid of it. Fair enough. Then read Job. In Job, she will find an example of patient virtue. Um, if you haven't read Job, like, it, it gets really bad for him. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, but he's always faithful to God. Mm-hmm. So Job says, all right, so like, you're going to do all this stuff, and you're going um, to encounter God. You're going to learn a way of life. You're going to get rid of all the things that like, don't really like, mean stuff. Um, that are just like superficial right. in life. Uh, and then some bad stuff's going to happen. You're like going to be, oh, man, my life is horrible. Like, why did God abandon me? Right? And, and that's a real feeling. Like, that, you got to acknowledge that. Yeah. So Job Absolutely. teaches us what to do with that emotion. 
and like how to relate to God when we're in the midst of suffering. And thence led her past to the Gospels. So wow. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, then the Gospels. Why? Because, because by the, those other books, we've been prepared. Re- yeah. Remember, like in the, in the early church, you didn't get baptized, unless you were a little kid, then you would get baptized. Um, see, see, it's actually apostles. Um, but in the early church, if you were an adult, you had to prove to the church that you were, could live a moral life before you got baptized. Like you had to go through the way of Proverbs and the way of Ecclesiastes and more likely the way of Job, like before you were baptized and entered into the good news of salvation. Of course, you heard it. But um, so there, there's something about like, hmm, if, if we're stuck in sin, then like we are continually like rejecting mm-hmm. the grace that God always wants to give us. So Jerome is saying, hey, like train yourself so that you have the, the natural virtue to reject less the grace that you know from God from singing the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Right. So then you can be more open to the good news of the Bible and know God's <coughs> salvation. Right. Because it also like, gives you, like, all of those are in the Old Testament. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. So then it yeah. like, prepares you for when Jesus, yeah, like, references back to the Old mm-hmm. Testament. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. it, like, makes them more real. Like, when I think about Jesus, yeah, knew the scriptures. Like, he knew the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Something about that just, like, makes it very human. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's very human for me to want to read and grow in my relationship with God by reading right. his inspired word, mm-hmm. which is yeah. all the scripture. Right. I think maybe it could also just be like a temptation for people, like just in terms of like not wanting to get into scripture. I don't know, I can't, I haven't really like read it. And we almost like sell ourselves short before we even yeah. stop to try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like pick up the scriptures and start reading. Yeah. Read yeah. some Proverbs, read the Psalms, yeah. and get into it and let them. God, that's how God, that's the word of God. That's how God speaks to us. God wants to speak to right. us. That's a, a way to do it. I, I have a quote on that. Okay. That I love. <laughs> St. Gregory the Great, he's the Pope. Oh, yes. And uh, in June of 595, he said this. Uh, what is sacred scripture, if not a letter from the omnipotent God to his creature? The king of heaven, the lord of the human race and of angels, has sent his letters to you so that you might live. He was writing to a particular person named Theodore. So he says to Theodore, Nevertheless, illustrious son, you neglect to read them fervently. Seek, therefore, I beg you, the Pope is saying this, seek, I beg you, to meditate every day on the words of your Creator. Learn the heart of God in the words of God, so that you will long more fervently for eternal things, and so that your mind may be inflamed with a greater desire for the joys of heaven. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> really, though. God's, wow. God's letter speaks wow. to us in the scriptures. That's um, beautiful. So, yeah, that's so, great. So don't be afraid if you don't understand it at first. Uh-huh. Because we have, you have all these people to ask. Right. Yeah. You have all these good books to read, like Dr. Hahn, Dr. Petrie, like Megan talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so jump in, because like, God loves you. And like he has sent this word to you personally. That's a perfect, a perfect way to end. I'm yeah. just gonna close with these two. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> My goodness. Um, yeah.
So I want to thank Father Bryce for taking yeah, time to so come much. and talk with this us. This has been a blast. This is great. <laughs> Every time I finish an episode, I'm like, this is so fun. Why don't we do <laughs> this ever. all the time? <laughs> um, so great. We hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks, Margaret, for first time joining us. Yeah, we loved thanks having for letting you me here. come upstairs. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Megan as well. So thank, uh, thank you all for listening. If you have questions, uh, feel free to comment on whatever social media platform you see us on. Yes. Instagram, Facebook. Those are the two. Those are the two. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, if you have more questions about scripture, have you experiences you want to share with scripture, let us know. You know, we'd love to share it and talk about it. Absolutely. And so, until next time. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye. <laughs> you need like a, a dropout line. I love how you like salute. Uh, I salute. Like no all one the can time. see if others like, I'm saying goodbye. That's I hope you know it's a salute. <laughs> Probably good that no one can. Yeah, I literally, I literally do this all the time. I got it from Doc. That's what I'm <laughs>